Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Anatomy of Movie. Today we dissect Mark Wahlberg's Patriot's Day. That's right, the movie that hits close to home for a lot of us because a lot of us here from the panel are from Boston, so stay tuned. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Very excited to talk about this movie for a number of reasons. Um, There's lots to dissect, lots to talk about, both in terms of the plot, um, the characters, the acting, but then also the social implications. Um, And how apropos that we're talking Patriots Day on Inauguration Day. For those of you years from now, probably has no real significance. (laughs) (laughs) However... Still noted that that's when we're doing it. Irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. We have Dimitri Panos, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, movie fans, how are you? We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And Phil Svitek. That's me. That's you. Uh, Overall thoughts of this movie. Let's start there. Um, You know, I enjoyed it. We've covered a few Peter Berg films here. I didn't feel like this movie was too jingoistic, and I was kind of worried that it's going to be like America, you know, over and over and over again. And it really wasn't. I mean, they they showed, I feel personally, I'm being the one third of this panel that's not from Boston. I feel that this movie showed Boston in a good positive light, in in a different side of Boston that we, we might not be used to seeing in film. I think it was beautiful. The cinematography was good. I think they did it tastefully. Granted, this is very, I, I still think it was very too, too soon for this because cause I remember the day this happened, and it felt like yesterday. It was too soon to do this type of film. But I think the way that they executed it, I think they did it in a tasteful manner. Yeah, well, you know, all of Peter Berg's movies, uh, since he's been starting this collaboration with Mark Wahlberg, but I think all of his movies uh, have, have teetered on good, not great, with the exception of maybe Very Bad Things, which I thought was just god-awful. But Friday Night Lights is... is it's a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've always maintained whenever we've done a Peter Berg movie on this show, uh, subtlety is not a word in Peter Berg's lexicon, dictionary. Uh, and, and with that said, this was probably his most reserved movie to date, especially with Mark Wahlberg, with the exception of a few scenes. Uh, Particularly one that comes to mind is the opening, uh, when you see the couple, uh, and they're in bed, and he sort of kind of zooms in on their legs. I would just sat there and said, really? Really? Pete? Re- Come on. I go, you're kicking me in the head with their legs. I go, I, I just thought that, that was a little over the top for me. Um, you know, and but I will say that he chronicles the events of this the, the Boston Marathon bombing pretty well. Um if I had to take, if I'm take, well, I take umbrage actually, and it's a weird thing, because I, on one hand, I can sort of see why they did this. On the other hand, it, it sort of almost teeters to insulting, is that the Mark Wahlberg character Tommy Saunders um, is invented for this movie. He was written. He wasn't a real character. Um, He's composite of real people. He's, yeah, but here's my th- here's my thing, and he, this character was made to be somewhat heroic. Uh, he was magically appeared everywhere, um, and he actually had impact on various outcomes. So one thing I think that's very important to understand about the Boston Marathon they bombing in the manhunt which followed 
is this became very widespread. So a cop who was a first responder at the finish line was not in Watertown. He was not at MIT. You know, they each had, because this became so widespread as a manhunt, and Tommy Saunders, he was giving orders to the FBI. He was taking the statement from the kid that got carjacked. He was the guy that noticed the blood on the boat, which, no, that's not the case. And to me, it's sort of kind of insulting to the actual cops who were there doing this job. Um, and, you know, we could talk about it, maybe debate it a little more if people feel differently. But he literally did have impact with many of the plot lines that were widespread throughout the many days of this manhunt. And that, to me, was probably the biggest... That, to me, I, I, I have issue with. I said this before, if we go back to Dallas Buyers Club, when we did that, they invented a character for that movie who also had impact on the plot, and that was a doctor who, who like, had this relationship with Matthew McConaughey's character... But it never happened. Like, you can't have a relationship with a fictitious character. I feel the same way here. Uh, and on the one hand, like I said, I understand why this character may have been invented because it's so widespread. And literally the capturing of this in this manhunt was a collaborative effort. I get you want to make a character that the audience can follow through, but I think he should have played more of the interloper. He should have been taking orders, not giving them. He should have been there as assist, not lead. And I might have been able to swallow it better. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying in terms of the sentiment. I just also know it's very difficult to have a character who just takes orders, right? I mean, it's, it's just not the way we've been conditioned to, to do. And, and uh, you know, there's, of course, movies that are structured in such a way where the, the main character refuses to do action, and then eventually that's his arc is that, boom, okay, I'm ready to take action. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I, I get that sentiment. I think um, in terms of this movie, the, the benefit that I think they had was that it was six days, and I think they were able to dive deep. Um, because, it, I mean, think about um, Zero Dark Thirty, right? Mm -hmm. That was such a long span of time yeah, that you had to choose the moments that you were going to tell. With this, I think you you know you had to eliminate a lot less and can dive deeper because of it. Well, and, and again, the chronicling of this I thought was done very well. You know, Marissa, you said it may have been too soon. Um, I think like if you're if to say yeah, it could have been too soon because for me, anyways, it's still very fresh in my head. And the way in which I either read from the Boston Globe or I watched on CNN, we this was a real-time event that happened. Um, and real-time as far as the manhunt went, too. So we got to see this chronicled. And this movie chronicled like, okay, here we go from here. Here's the base camp. These are things that, as you said, if it's too soon, that are somewhat still familiar with us. Going into whatever happened, that tragedy that happened at MIT, the carjacking, Watertown, the shootout, a lot of that played for us on live TV, mm -hmm. which is crazy when you think about today's technology and what they accomplished as a city um, and what we as the public, no matter where we were, got to see on TV. Well, I, think, I think even more so, um, you know, I know, I mean, social media 
kind of took a huge step in that way because a lot of mm. a lot of the coverage was old at that point because of social media. You can get instantaneous stuff, um, and you got updates that way, which you know was kind of a point of the movie of like mm-hmm. let the Boston people work for you because they can and they will. True. Um, you know, in terms of it being too soon, you know, we'll talk about why they they chose to do it. Um, from my perspective, if I had to say why, um, you know, this is initially my opinion, but you're sort of taking something back, you know, uh, something that wasn't a good, good tragedy, but, um, you know, and, and that's what the people of Boston did. They, they rallied together and, you know, took back that day. And I think that's what this movie attempts to do as well is to, to make Patriots Day and, and that marathon instead of it being the terrorist day. No, it's, it's about the people. Uh, and I agree but I think I think the real time events. I think nothing really took and galvanized the city more. And I saw this live was David Ortiz's speech at that Red Sox game where they were honoring uh, his. This is our fucking city, and he said. And this was on live TV, mind you, and it wasn't beeped out. I had such a sense of Boston pride. I teared up. I mean, I needed to get my Boston strong hat. That is what really, that right there, his that speech he said at that Red Sox game, like and and, and thankfully too, I said going into this movie, the movie has to end there. It has to because that is what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so to your point, it was that coming together, um, taking it back. Uh, and the movie, thankfully, it did end there from its story standpoint. Uh, outside of going into its epilogue. But, um, yeah, it really was about... This whole story, in a sense, culminates with Boston taking it back uh, like that. I agree. Well, let's let's talk, right? So I guess it's a good place to start. Um, I'll start with Mark Wahlberg only because, you know, he's, he's a Boston guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll certainly talk about their collaboration. But um, in terms of him, you know, he said, someone's going to make this movie. And uh, if someone's going to make this movie, what might as well be me that has control over it. And he didn't want to do it initially. He didn't want to do it, but he already heard, well, it's greenlit. It's going. There was another movie with Jake Gyllenhaal stronger, uh, which is going. And you're right. He's just like, look, it's going on without me. Uh, I should take some charge here and, you know, I could at least try to make it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad he did and he had that perspective because he does have a good working relationship with Peter Berg as mm-hmm. well. And then having Berg and having that, re- you know, rapport and that professionalism between those two, that those two can collaborate on a good story. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, n- they're not going to just make it all Hollywood with the bells and whistles, but they'll actually tell tell the story in a good way right. and, and tell it right. And that's what Wahlberg really wanted to do. It's like, if we're going to do this, we have to make sure we do it correctly. So, yeah, I, 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 I like how they're able to, you know, the Deepwater Horizon and this are so, um, so interconnected just by the sheer money. They, they came out like months within <coughs> each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, what I just appreciate, as I said, is the, they bring the camera, um, so to speak, down to, you know, everyone's level. We're not looking at it from high above because I could see this and, you know, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here. And in that regard, 800 characters, and we're just telling the story, but not really the human side of it. And I did like that we got down very low and intimate. 
um, for both movies. Even Deepwater Horizon managed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. You know, particularly again, this is where I say it was probably Peter Berg's most reserved. Is the bombing itself tragic, horrific, um, god awful, blood spilt? And Peter Berg is you know lone survivor, whatnot. He's very like in your face. And while he didn't shy away from 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 the from the violence, let's say, he didn't stay on it too long either. And he didn't put it. He didn't punch in the face with it. No. Um, yep. When you say on the ground, another thing about this the, the the bombing is that this actually we actually like through all the news coverage, like say CNN. We saw a lot of this for the first time. Video monitors yeah. captured a lot of things that were playing. We saw the bombing in more or less real time. We saw that from that cafe, um, and I—I I actually, it's a technique that sometimes can get in the way of a movie. But I here I felt that Berg blended it in because it was actually a part of the manhunt. It was used and it was let for the public to see. You could see the live video coverage that they had throughout the city. That brought it to the ground level, as you were saying. I sort of appreciated that. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be over-abused, um, but not here, because it was act- an actual part of the storytelling of this manhunt in real time, like, on the news outlets. Yeah, and it, it just had those moments. I mean, I, J.K. Simmons, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. And, and just moments... Of Boston humor, right? They were able to capture that when they're like, they're shooting at us. Yeah, well, no shit. <laughs> you know, and he's just so matter of fact about it. And, you know, I could imagine, you know, you, you sort of picture something in your mind of how it could go, but, you know, what's to stop someone from being that way? And yeah, that's, they're doing their jobs. And, that, you know, even though it, it's not an everyday occurrence, you imagine in that type of situation, this is how they would act. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's interesting to note about that character, and I'm glad they had this scene in the movie because it goes on to what I said earlier before. Um, the J.K. Simmons, his character, they were in Watertown. The bombing had happened. They were having their, you know, their 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 um, you know NYPD blue moment, you know, where they were calling off assignments, and he says something to the effect of, "Okay, let's pay attention." Right now, Boston police, like, you know, we're letting them handle it. They haven't called us for assistance. Things haven't, hadn't gone into Watertown. And he's like, but let's just keep our eyes and ears peeled. If they need us, we're going to be there. But right now, like, we're just going to stay out of it because we haven't been asked to come in. And I was like, that, that's very important. But then, you know, but it goes back to my Mark Wahlberg thing because his character ends up showing up <laughs> without being asked. And he's not a Watertown uh, police person. So, but I like that scene because they weren't drawn into it yet. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, one of the things, so let, let's get into story and then we'll kind of start backtracking a little bit. Um, I do want to talk about, first and foremost, how they handled the terrorists. Um, which, just in general, to be those two guys in terms of actors, I almost feel for them because in many ways they'll sort of be remembered for that role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not a good connotation. No. no. Um, and so as actors, I have to give them credit for just doing their job in a sense. And that's as plainly as I'll put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to see, you know, we, we all know it was two young guys who 
committed this. But it was interesting to see, like, their mentality and why they were doing it. I don't think there was, like, for a storytelling aspect, I don't think it was a strong enough reason to execute, you know, this bombing. And it was more like their opinions. It was like, well, yeah, you know, this happened, this happened. We're going to do it anyways because we pretty much feel like it and i think there there wasn't like a big character i guess character motivation enough for me to believe why they just want to do it and um that kind of frustrates me because we know you know just as u.s citizens we're always just questioning why did they just want to do it um and i think the movie didn't show that well, um, I, I think that's part of it i mean that to me to be honest like they're just two of the biggest idiots in the world Mm-hmm. You did that, like you had no support, you had no game plan. Mm-hmm. You know, you were getting, and especially like you got your ass fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly, and I think that was also frustrating just watching them because they were just so sloppy in their execution. They had no regard for security. They like, like you said, no backup. I mean, <clears throat> we saw the the younger brother constantly going into all these places that was surrounded by security cameras. Like they they bent to the bombing with virtually no, nothing to cover them up and to hide their personalities. I mean, yeah, sunglasses, but whatever. But I, I think their execution was just so sloppy. It was frustrating to watch. It was like, but they're it captured, so unorganized. But I think, I, again, I think that's just them. You know? Yeah. I think they capture, in terms of what those guys were and represent, that, they capture them well. And I also, though, I do agree with you regarding, you know, regarding those actors, okay, Regarding those kids that they portray, it's a, it's sort of like it's a big decision, because it could be something that hangs around their neck like an albatross, you know. Um, whereas, they might have a hard time getting another job if they look too much like, you know, Tarzanovs. You know what I'm saying? And typecast it. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's, it must have been a, a hard choice because when you're playing that kind of a villain a real life villain too actually um and the way that they were portrayed i mean they were <laughs> they were kids i mean they, they were college uh, uh you know the kids you would see at starbucks um doing this uh you know and they weren't portrayed as like being he 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 dastardly evil you know, there were, I, I thought their portrayal of, as being was was real. Like I thought it was a real portrayal that this is just they wanted to do something stupid and make some stupid statement, and uh, they did, unfortunately. But you know, they they did pay the price. Yeah, and you for know, not being too bright. A lot of their dialogue, you know, I. I um the the fact that um, Jahar was always arguing with the brother, and the fact that the older brother, you know, he was so full of confidence, right, and just didn't listen, and that's what eventually, you know, ended up uh, ended up killing them, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. you know, so, well, certainly the older brother. His downfall. Yeah, and we yeah. should talk. Alex Wolf uh, played Zokar, uh, and Themo. Melikizi, it almost sounds Greek, it was, was Tamerlan. And, you know, they did, they did a good job, uh, you know, as far as in this role, but I think the way they were written, too, sort of kind of like, you're right, there was no game plan, but they, they're terrorists nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's, here's the feeling I got, and I'll quote it from uh, Ryan Gosling's uh, very early movie called The Believer. 
It's that feeling you get when you see a rat and you just want to fucking step on it. You just want to kill it. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately the feeling I got when every time they came on screen. But that's, I mean, again, if that's the feeling you're trying to portray, then I guess he succeeded. And they were so nonchalant about it. Too was another thing. Yeah, they were just frustrating to watch every time. Like I, <laughs> well, I completely yeah. agree with you, yeah. Phil. You know, the every time you saw them on screen, you just want to punch them. You know, yeah. And because it, it, it's just frustrating noting knowing that these two people like actually existed and they actually did this, and it's, it's just it's a scary notion to think that you know, oh hey, they were the people we had to deal with every single mm-hmm. day. Yeah, absolutely. Living among us. Well, we don't have to get into it, but um, that's why it is interesting, like, you know, in terms of their psychology, right, that's why Rolling Stone t- took uh, such a big hit with the issue that they had when they had um, Jahar on the cover was, you know, they were trying to do a deep expose into, you know, how does someone that could be a normal kid get into the, such, you know, something like this. Right. Um, and obviously a lot of controversy came out of that, so much so that and plenty of I think like CVS and a bunch of other places stopped selling Rolling Stone for at least the time being. Right. Um, to, but it is interesting. Especially in Boston. You know, one thing that it was said in the movie, it's like, you know, hey, we'll be nice to you. We'll treat you okay. But don't fuck us over. Because once that happens, you, you, you're fucked. Like, we mm-hmm. will come at you. You know, and it's, and it's weird. It's sort of this New York mentality, except it's Boston. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it this did when Boston Strong came out of this, you know that phrase Boston Strong. Again, that was something that very much, you know, it was said by one of the uh, police chiefs um, initially during during the manhunt. It wasn't something that came up after, but then when David Ortiz said it, then you know that really built up into this. It just cascaded throughout the entire city, and there was that sense of togetherness and pride, uh, no matter where you were. Um, so, uh, let's talk about one of the, one of the aspects I really liked was whenever they had to make a decision. Uh, a couple of deci- you know, um, first and foremost, is this a terrorist attack? Or do we let you deal with it? Is um, do we let the public in on this or no? Um, and things of that nature. Um, what, what did you guys think about those scenes? I thought they played really well. Um, and it's what I enjoy most about these types of movies is, is that, oh, wow, people actually have to think about this. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because, I mean, for us, we who were just the, the normal citizens uh, getting all this exposure via media, um, I, like, I didn't realize that they were holding on to these photos for, like, they found out almost immediately and they were holding on um, right. onto these photos for a few days where, like, to me, and just memory recall, that it seemed like we found out almost immediately as well, but I didn't realize, you know. So there are all these questions that that they were already, you know, trying to answer on their own that we wouldn't have thought of beforehand. I thought that was, uh, it was eye-opening. I-, I loved Kevin Bacon's performance in this movie. I thought, as the FBI director who was going to make that call, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, he's like, look, but stay away from the crime scene. Are you calling this a terrorist act? I'm not calling it anything yet. I'll let you know. You know, and just after a few things, he's like, you even saw it in his face. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, damn. He's like, yeah, this is terrorism. Yep, we're taking over as of now. Yeah. You know, but you're right. But it was him. And this is, again, this is what bothered me about, like, 
like the Tommy Saunders character when he starts giving him orders and telling him what he should be doing, you know, at home base. Like, this is a guy that, that knows his job, and it's like, no, he's not going to take it from Boston PD guy. If anything, he's going to be telling the, the BPD what to do. And because, and, and I thought that uh, Kevin Bacon's performance, like, you, he, there was, you believed him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you believe that he was stalwart, that he was smart, uh, and, and he had to play this game with the media. It's like, we're not letting this out. We're not getting this because that's going to cause a panic, and we're not going to do this. We're going to keep it contained. And he was so pissed when it leaked, when Fox, like, Fox said that they were going to release it regardless. You know, I like those behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Thanks. even the even the um, the governor, right when when he's uh, talking about shutting down the entire city, right? Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. You know, that was a big decision. Absolutely. Um, but they did it, um, yeah. and and so it gave you that insight into it, and just and it was a great. That was kind of a great moment because it was more of a unanimous vote rather than the other stuff. That was a little bit more pained. Right. This was like, okay. We know where we're at. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, and that's when you, you know, it goes just back to that sense of, okay, everyone really started coming together. Right. So I think that, uh, if you guys think of any other big decisions, but I think those would be the one, two, three, and shutting down the city was the big third. Mm-hmm. All right, we're coming together. Yeah, and, you know, growing up in Boston, the only time I ever remember, like, the city getting shut down was during a blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you shut the city down because cars can't go, you want safety. But that was a big deal. Um, and again, I have to go back to shutting down the city, telling people to stay indoors. Uh, another real-life event, outside of a blizzard, too, that I can think of, was the Boston Strangler, where, where, where they were telling people, stay in your house. You know, don't answer your... That was the other big thing. Do not answer your door to any stranger or whatever. You know, now we come so many years later, we have this act of terrorism. And when you're shutting down a city and telling people to stay in within so much of a radius, even my that's family... A, that's a world major city. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not the biggest city in the no. world, but it's a, it's, it's a major city yeah. in the world. It's a top 10 market, you know. And, you know, even my, you know, my family, my friends, whether Peabody, Saugus, uh, Nahant, uh, uh, you know, Stoneham, you get a sense that... Like, even if you're far out, you're scared. You don't want to go out. Because you don't... They didn't know where they were going at that point. So to lock down a city uh, for, for, for a day and a half, I believe, or a day and a half, two days, that's a big deal, you know? Absolutely. So... Absolutely. Um, let's... We, we sort of tippy-toed around it, but let's talk about the setup of characters. Um, you know... At, I can't. I don't think there's any one character that didn't get set up very early on in the movie, even if they weren't going to be used until pretty much the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even with um, uh, shoot the the guy from Silicon Valley, the guys whose car got stolen. Oh, the Asian man. Yeah. Uh, that is. Uh... Anyway. Yes. Uh, we kind of set him up early, right? We didn't know where he was going, but um, obviously if you're familiar with the story, then you know, oh. Jimmy O. Yang played uh, Dun Danny Meng. Yes. So yeah, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, they, they put the pieces of the puddle, puzzle for an audience together pretty well. Seeing him, uh, seeing Sean, uh, the MIT cop, 
Um, you know, seeing the couple. Yeah, Berg did a good job introducing us to the characters <clears throat> this movie was going to focus on, uh, even though they their part in this tragedy wasn't going to come until a little bit later on in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, the character who I was not expecting to be used in the way that she was used is the wife. You yeah. know, we Because <clears throat> out of all people, um, she was set up sort of the least, right? We just see her in the background with the kid, and you kind of think it's more so of how these these guys, and especially the husband, deals with his wife. And then, boom, we get that intense scene mm-hmm. with her and the inter- interrogator, and um, she's just not budging. And you wonder, oh, how? what was her involvement? Mm-hmm. Right. If she was even involved in the first place. Yeah, I, I completely agree, because we did spend so much time on everybody else. It was like, okay... How, how like is this a relationship between like the the Asian guy and the guy and the woman that he was interested in? You know they they set up like all these characters and different types of relationships and like how did they play into the story? Um, I I just knew about the wife that they did interrogate the wife right. afterwards, so like I knew that she was going to play a part. I didn't realize how big and how intense and, of a scene that and, was going to be. And it was but in, I thought it was great. It was in one of the trailers or a couple of the trailers. <clears throat> you know when, when she says you know. You know, I want a lawyer, and the one says, "You ain't got shit." Mm-hmm. Um, now it's interesting too because Peter Berg, uh, specifically about that scene, <clears throat> said once the trial was over, they did pretty much have, and by they I'm meaning production, Peter Berg and crew, um, they had free reign, uh, and and this film was made in the research and it came down to casual meetings over a couple of beers with FBI agents and, and actually gaining their trust. That's the thing. <clears throat> this crew had to talk to a lot of, <coughs> pardon me, forgive me, Boston police department officers, FBI people. And it wasn't that they were, you know, Boston can be very insular. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be very, you know, free giving of information until they believe and trust you. And this intelligence interview, um, it, it, it was actually done by this group called the High Value Interrogation Group, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. which is comprised of some pretty pr- tough people. When someone is believed to have had knowledge of an imminent terrorist attack, all rules are off. And you do. You lose your constitutional rights. We know they did an interrogation. They wouldn't, they wouldn't supply them with... Like the actual transcripts. Like, transcripts. I get it. But they guided them and they told them whether or not they were hot or cold. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're hot. No, you're cold. You're hot or cold. And I find that 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 I find that to be very interesting that they actually even collaborated and even went as far as saying you're hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that scene at least there was a sense of realism. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. And you got a sense of realism. And that woman, that actress, yeah, she was, she was awesome. <laughs> she was great. I would yeah. not want to mess with her. <laughs> and especially when she took off <clears throat> you know, the, the headwear. And, uh, Are you talking about the interrogator? Yeah, the interrogator. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, oh, she, like, that's someone not to be messed with. She, she was high up Nay-nay. because 
they they said, oh, and like no one, what, what was the line? Like no one's allowed to go in there, or you don't have clearance or something right. along those lines. It's like this is serious. This isn't the FBI. This is something else. Oh yeah, this is bigger in. than the FBI. Yeah, this is someone like else. Classic. We're taking who over. was yep. specialized to bring yeah. and brought them in. I was like, don't mess with her. Yeah. I yeah, it, it but, but it was very interesting too because that was another aspect. After the interrogation was over, you know, she walks out and they're like, "What did you get?" And it's like, "Jack shit, nothing." Like, we know that she did. But we got nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't nothing. Yeah. You know, is it is an intense as scene as that was, and and the wife played by Melissa Benoist, who today is known as as as, as Supergirl. Supergirl. It's great, but she also had uh, the great supporting role in Whiplash, where where, where she played the girlfriend that that, that he mm-hmm. sort of that well not sort of he very mistreated, but uh, you know I thought she did in this scene she did a really good job uh, in, in that portrayal and not completely losing it. No, so no, very much you know and, and I mean interrogations right. I mean, it's a legitimate fight, especially in that. Like, it was just so intense, uh, you know, in that regard. Again, in terms of, as you pointed out, Marissa, that interrogator is out for blood. She wants those answers. And, you know, it, it's a tactic, though. It's it's unlike actual combat. It's it's the most interesting of mental chess games, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, so I... I thoroughly enjoyed that now the other thing that's interesting too is most of the people got to meet their real life counterpart uh in the movie with the exception of her you know she 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 wasn't able to do it and um you know but a lot when she credits peter berg while we're in set he goes i don't know what she's thinking because we don't so that was a lot of what i drew from that she was very concealed and we don't really know a lot about her and even after that interrogation, we don't really know an awful lot about her. But she did sort of kind of talk about what well, we were talking about the, the about the two that played the the, the the brothers. Is that she goes obviously is very controversial, much more provocative character that I've been playing in the past. But she found that that it was intriguing, enigmatic, uh, and relevant subject matter. And I mean, but she is Supergirl. Like, she has a role to go back to, like, where those other two brothers aren't, like, regulars in a popular series. And she has her head covered for most of like, not to be insensitive about it. That's true, sure. I I think this was a role to kind of expand her acting Mm -hmm. um, range, which I'm like, I'm I'm for. And the interesting thing that I found out during her research is that she actually auditioned for another part on this film. Originally, she went in for Jessica Kensky. Oh, okay. the, the survivor who lost her leg. Um, she originally auditioned for that role and didn't get it, but they went back to Melissa and they said, we're actually interested for uh, you to do this role instead mm-hmm. of the wife. And that's how she got involved on this. In a sense, too, I think so it's... Like she, she, it's not like she sought out for this particular... Right. Um, to be <laughs> this yeah. person, but the fact that she does play it in, in an interesting light... Uh, yeah, and, sure. and I think it's a it's a in a sense no disrespect no. to any of the real people, but I think as just as a move as a role, this is a much richer role because what you have to like number one, it's a very intense scene. You have to you have a very intense actress 
who's playing something very intense to you, and she's got to come off as not really wilting and just keeping keeping calm um, and not giving anything. And she really accomplished that, I thought, very, very well. And it's part of it's the linchpin of the movie, in a sense, because she's the only one that we get to see interrogated throughout this movie. Well, because, I mean, to be honest, <clears throat> you know, uh, Jahar... He uh, to me he would have shit his pants. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Too. yeah. Uh, the older brother I think would have been full of BS. I, I like I believe out of the three of them, she was the strongest. You know, and just the way she delivered that line, yeah, he kissed me on his way out, as like a fuck you to her, um, just solidified that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, it's just I, you know, um, obviously a very great scene. Very great team. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the towards the end, right? So, uh, you know, kind of initially, and like with most movies, you know, the beginning tends to be a lot more faster, and then you have to slow it down towards the end to, to get the climax. And um, when they get to that manhunt portion, we're spending a lot of time in there. And much like with the, uh, with the actual manhunt, devoid of noise, devoid of life, you know, it's just strictly just military walking through. Um, and I thought they did that really extremely well. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, it just goes back to chronicling of events. Again, I go back to, like, it's Tommy Saunders' character who literally had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. But yet we're seeing him on the streets, but he was doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And to me, every time we're someplace, and then we cut back to him in his car with his cop spot on... Like, why? Like, we know <laughs> it just, to me, it dragged the, the, the movie down when we already had tense things happening. Um, but I did like the way that we had a perspective. We sort of had a, the movie gave us a geography, mm-hmm. uh, in a sense. Yeah, and a scope. <clears throat> and, um, and I did appreciate how this played. It was almost documentary-ish. Um you know, and again, this is why I think it was Peter Berg's best directed film, uh, because we really it was a docudrama that played out uh, almost seemingly in real time, although we know that it was condensed into a two hour movie. But there was a lot of information that we got in two hours that played out. Yeah, yeah. I almost like to you know just on a side note, I, I'd like to I'd be curious to see it as a documentary similar to uh, is it called One Day in September. Mm-hmm. You, have you ever heard yeah, of a yeah, documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. about the, the Munich um, yes. terrorist yeah. acts from the Olympics? Um, I'd be curious to see it in that way. Well, let me ask you. Well, well this is this may or may not be an interesting question, but I'm going to throw it out there and see if it sticks. Like, okay, so you don't have the Tommy Saunders character in it, right? And you're just showing, you're chronicling these events. And yes, you have John Goodman in it. You know, you have all the other actors in it. But you're going from thing to thing. Like, you're going from Watertown, you're going from Finish Line, Base Camp. Would you think that it would have played out more like a documentary? Had the Tommy Saunders character... Like, what if they chose not to have that character in it? Would would it have taken away the impact of the film? Maybe make it look a little more documentary you know, Maybe not the impact, but I, I think <clears throat> the only reason for the Tommy Saunders character, if you think about it, he's the only character that threads every location together. I mean, if you took him out, there might have been a disconnection from uh, a disconnect from like 
Watertown to downtown Boston, or you know, I, I don't really know. But shouldn't that be the brothers? Like, if but, if you focus a little bit more on yeah, them, you, you you think because like we know the brothers traveled a little bit from here and there, but right. I, I feel just from maybe you have that you know, that one focal point to focus on that takes you literally everywhere in the movie, and I think that's what Tommy Saunders said. Take him right. out. I think we could have told the exact same story and not missed anything. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is one of those difficult things. I mean, I, th- I think the shift then, um, you know, this is a much easier way, right? So um, story-wise, it just is, right? You know, to have one character that you follow and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they switched it, then I think it's one of those, you know, the thread. It Yes, it's the brothers, but, you know, that's not really good because then you're pinning it on the bad guys, so to speak. You don't necessarily want to do that. I think that then you sort of have to pass the baton, and it's the means of communication right? Um, that becomes the through line of like, oh, hey, um, we got a report in Watertown. We got, you know, MIT, this, boom, boom, boom. And so it's just the flow of information. Be like, okay, great. You know, now now you're taking over. You guys have, you know, you guys are there. It's not necessarily your jurisdiction, let's say, but you guys have the go-ahead to... Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was also my question. I was like, because I thought I was like, well, or Tommy's going to all these different locations. He that just he's magically probably, appears I everywhere. Like, this is probably beyond his jurisdiction. Yeah. And that one scene when he's talking back to the cops, and yeah. I'm like, no, nah, dude, like this is FBI you're talking to yeah. now. Like you are like literally no one right now. But it was. So. It, I mean, I, I think I think the the biggest thing that for me was off putting about him as a character was the fact that he was being reprimanded. But yet held a very high status, so you know. So, so I, I think that's. I don't know. I don't know if people think about it in those terms, but I think that is what kind of makes it weird because it, you're not making a clear distinction as to, well, what is he? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just kind of a little bit frustrating. It was like, granted, he is essentially our protagonist that we're we're supposed to follow, but I think it was kind of frustrating that they made him out to be the smartest guy in the room. Right, he's literally against the FBI. All these people who are above him, who essentially, by you know, by standard, they should by principle, they should be the smartest people. But he's the one who's making the suggestions. Oh, hey, we we should go to the hospital. We need witnesses. We need statements. It's like, yeah, we already know that. That's what bothered me. That bothered me. The fact that. The, 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 the carjacking, like, he wouldn't have been in Cambridge. Like, yes, yeah. a cop would have taken that kid's statement, and I wouldn't have minded if he shows up and says, hey, you have everything covered here? And then the cop would go to him, oh, yeah, chief, yeah, everything's all set. Kid, you okay? Do you need me to get anything for you? Well, he goes, you know, he's a great officer. Whatever. They made him too much, yeah, like I said, it. He, he, he had too much impact on outcome. In a true story, which we know for if he's fiction, he didn't. Here's here's what they got right about him, right? Uh, now I don't, I can't say that this is true of a cop, but it's true of a Bostonian, where they will stick their head into somewhere where they're not needed and offer an opinion. Yeah, yeah, we Absolutely. should be totally doing that. Absolutely. Why aren't you guys doing that? Absolutely. That's what we gotta do. And I'm sure there were plenty of cops who were like, they're probably pretty riled. You know, when you have the FBI is probably like saying, "Okay, you got to settle down." Yeah. You know. Uh, well, he did have his I, moment. He's uh, like, "You're, you're going to let this dead kid just lie in the street." It was like, which that's, I mean, we can understand him like in that frustration. Right. I think any citizen would say the same thing. But like, yeah, he did have his foot in his mouth every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. 
But it, it was just frustrating that they made him smarter than the other people he was actually working with. Yeah. Now, it actually wouldn't be that way. No. Agreed. So. Agreed. Um, so it is what it is. Um, any other um, plot points you guys want to discuss before we move on to the technical well, side of things? You know, it's, again, um, Officer Sean Collier, uh, Jake Picking had played him. And uh, this is a tragedy. You know, every, everything about this is a tragedy. You know, but he was definitely the guy uh, at a wrong, wrong time, wrong place kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and again, it's just the stupidity of these brothers. Like, this, this guy, this cop, this MIT cop died because of stupidity, because they wanted to get an extra gun. And which you know, they didn't achieve. Which they well, no, and they didn't achieve this because I learned that, like he had uh, the gun restraint mm-hmm. on, which is a true actual equipment made to do exactly what it did. I mean, it is to keep other people from lifting a cop's gun, and it's more than just a snap. Like you can't get it out, um, you know. And I think that it's interesting that. They sort of, well, not sort of, they gave that character a little backstory, you know. And I wonder, and again, that's something that I wondered, did I need the backstory or is it tragic enough that they just, like, we were introduced to him. Yeah, I I get that. Um, Like, I didn't mind the backstory because it just made his death a little bit more impactful. Sure, sure. as, As terrible as it was, but now knowing that he was literally just a regular guy, he had friends, he had plans, he he was so innocent that this was such an injustice to him um, that I made his, it made his death more impactful, I think. Yeah. Then uh, it transferred the tragedy onto the so-called would-be girlfriend. Right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, then we see her come out and we see in her eyes of like, oh, you know, like, because she never told <clears throat> him how he felt or how she felt about him mm-hmm. as it was implied. So, um, you know, it's tragic in those multiple ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but stupidity of <laughs> just the BMW, just not caring. Mm-hmm. Just not caring. I mean, that's 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 the whole thing. It's just not caring. Yeah. It's like, like why would look, look, I'm not a terrorist, but the mere fact that they had to go hunting for a gun is just pure <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the lack of organization. organization. They didn't have a plan. That these dummies were able to carry off something that affected so many people. <laughs> and, and it affected a city. It affected a nation. You know, because again, because I think this really played out in real time. Think about like 9-11. To, that played out in real time. And think about how as a not just New York City, but think about what it did to the nation. And then some years later, you know, we get, you know, the Boston Marathon bombing. And again, it played out in real time in front of everybody because the video feeds are on. This was the Boston Marathon. I don't know, Phil. I mean, me growing up in Boston, high school, college, even my work years, I been to the Boston Marathon. I had high school friends who ran in the Boston Marathon. I went to that Boston Red Sox Patriots Day game 
a bunch of times and then walk from Fenway Park all the way down to the marathon. I used to work for Hoyt Cinemas, whose, whose offices were on one Exeter Plaza, okay, but they're right on the corner of Boylston. Like, I was sixth floor. They were right at the finish line. So when I worked there, I was able to... I had a perfect view. I could go there in the day off and still get in and watch the Boston Marathon. It's so ingrained um, in Boston that day. You know, um, Jim Fix, like, you remember the marathon runners, that it is, it's a day off in which people, like, it's it's a good day. Like, and the weather can be really nice. It's like spring can be starting. And it's such a, and again, it's something that the city takes pride in every year. You know, mm-hmm. big deal is made of the pasta dinner that takes place the night before, where the runners are carving up. Um the Red Sox game is timed perfectly so that by the time it's done, the people there can go celebrate the finish line. When you see these events unfold, when I was at I was at CinemaCon in Las Vegas, and I saw this at a at a television bar monitor, I, I was just stunned, like stunned about well, here, how I, this all played out. I think um, I think what. The movie was successful, and at least for me, was the fact that uh, you know they they sh- told the human story as as they wanted to tell it, but then with the epilogue, they opened it to the world, mm-hmm. you know, and said like, you know, that this is not an isolated incident. Unfortunately, um, in order to prevent it, um, something has to change, something has to give, and you know, we've had many examples of other places as well. And what what this showed, um, in, in terms of its fortitude, has to happen everywhere else. It does. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think uh, if, if they achieved any message, I think it was that one. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I appreciate them for it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree. Um, it's very good. Um, let's, in terms of the production then... Um, let's talk about what was always going to be a hard thing to do, which was obviously the terrorist act. To, sure. to, to recreate that and recreate it in an authentic way. Um, and as you pointed out, because of so much coverage, <clears throat> it has to... You want it to mimic, but also be its own thing. Um, so it's a very blurred line. Um, so, Marissa, I, I believe you found sort of a lot on this. Yeah, I, I'll let I, you speak. it was really interesting um, doing the research because I didn't realize the whole Black Falcon operation that went down afterwards. Um, they actually found a warehouse that was pretty close to where the original location was um, to um, in Quincy and Boston um, about that. And uh, so, so they did, like, have big enough space to recreate pretty much the mm-hmm. street. And then speaking of recreating the street that they actually did build an exact 1,000 foot replica um, of Boylston Street um, and uh, the the cool thing well I shouldn't say cool because that's not the best words for this one but the interesting thing is that uh, at the end of 2016's Boston's marathon they literally when the marathon was over they kept the stands up and they filmed some more footage so everything was still in its place but they they had like all the stands and the banners to look exactly and the particular flags that were flying that day 
to replicate that day um, on Boylston Street, down to where the stand locations were, down to where people who were working were at the certain finish lines, and uh, there were some extras that were wearing, like, yellow jackets to represent, the, like, real people who were working well, at the event. Yeah, and, and to, to, to expand, too, uh, it, was, uh, it was actually recreated at a former naval air station in South Weymouth. Um, and they crafted the 850-foot-long Boylston Street reproduction that replicated the precise bend slopes. Um, and they, you know, the set was created using 50 carpenters, about 20 painters, who began work in the middle of February 2016. Not the easiest month in Boston, because no. it's February, <laughs> and it's usually pretty freaking cold. Um, yes, they did film... Uh, at the actual Boylston Street, much to the chagrin of many of the Bostonians. Um, uh, I know a Boston Globe sports columnist who I follow because I think he's one of the one of the best. Uh, Eric Wilbur, you know, had not so kind things to say, and I get it too. A lot of Bostonians really don't know, how, didn't know how to feel about the making of this movie, particularly in their hometown, as you said on top. Is it too soon? Many people in Boston did feel it was very too soon. So, but they did actually do some filming at the actual Boylston Street finish line. They even mapped out the location of granite tiles, bricks, even notable gum spots. Gum spots. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the the the, the yellow jackets. Boston Marathon uh, organizer Eddie Jacobs had his crew break down the actual finish line to the minute 2016 race was over. Mm -hmm. um, New Hampshire-based AMI Graphics made a replica vinyl transfer of the finish line for the film. Um, international flags were, were featured, and they even recreate uh, the Brick Lens Crafters building now in 18 t store. I know exactly where this <laughs> is on Boylston Street. Uh, the crew uh, built the upper story to match how it looked three and a half years ago. So it's like their, their attention to the detail. You know, look, yeah, I they, felt as if I were on Boylston Street. I was actually looking for Aiden Louie's, which is a restaurant that they mentioned uh, at home base, where they were like, get the video cameras from Aiden Louie's. Like, oh, I've had great steak there. I, you know, that cafe, like, it, Boylston Street has changed. Uh, since. A lot since, uh, for obvious reason. Um, but there are still things like Abe and Louis is still there. Morton's, I know, um, you know, you can't take away from where Copley, that Copley Square is, where that church is, that, you know, um, that's not going to change. But I did feel as if I were on Boylston Street. Um, I would not have known, unless I did the research, mm -hmm. that they built this in South Weymouth. You know, they, yeah, they did I mean, a fantastic like, job. And I give them credit because, yes, it may have been too soon, but the fact that, like, they wanted to tell the story but actually tell it right and make it look as authentic as possible, I might give them credit for that. And for the interiors, they recreated the Marathon store mm -hmm. and um, the the former Forum restaurant there so the, and, and, you know, the Lens Crafter. Right. So everything in the Lens Crafter store was brought in like down to the frames and the windows and all everything. Yeah. They really wanted it to like this was the lens crafter store that got destroyed. Yeah. And they used that that naval base or that former naval base in, in South of Weymouth too. They they used it for their actions. Well for lack of a better word. They used it for the marathon bombing. They used it it, it doubled for Watertown. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, that street scene that they had as well. Uh, so, you know, and I know Watertown had, Watertown had their issues too. They really didn't want them there. Again, it's, Watertown's very insular. And yeah, they didn't want to recreate a tragedy. And to much respect, they found the other place. And they, they even said, listen, we didn't want to bother them. It, it, this was probably best. And and I do respect the fact that they, you know, because sometimes a movie can be an we're ego. considerate in that. Yes, and they were considerate to those people. Um, that boils, uh, the, 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 the Watertown shootout was a very interestingly shot scene as, as, as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. on one hand, I think it might have been made a little more cinematic than it. Yes, yeah, so bombs are going off. I'm not sure if they were raising and tipping cars over the way that the movie had it. And again, I, I just don't know how... <laughs> it's a pretty dramatic thing. And again, this was something that's on CNN. Like, they were, those people were, were... Those reporters were scared out of the... Like, I remember watching CNN, that, that tank, that when the, block, when the city was in lockdown... And that 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 special forces in. tank is going down a neighborhood, and I'm glad they showed that scene because I was like, oh God, yeah, I remember. That's got to be terrifying to see something like that coming down your street because you're looking for these these two punk ass kids. Well, at that point, you're just looking for one. Yeah, yeah. And with the manhunt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just see even seeing the way he was run over. Um, I thought mm-hmm. it was very interesting how they did that. I want to ask you about that. Because the way I've always read it, maybe it was just my interpretation, is that he was run over sort of kind of by accident. In the movie, it almost looks like he, was the intent purpose? was to... He, he, it was on purpose. Am I, am I wrong in interpreting it that way in the movie? Uh, you're not Pretty. wrong. In, it was... The way I interpreted it was it was on purpose, but at that point, he'd been shot, and it was like, okay, he's going to be dead anyway, my way out is going this way, so, and that's, you know, and it's a big fuck you to that guy, because he's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, trying to resuscitate him or whatever. Right. So let me let me inflict some damage. Right. And get the hell out of here. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, what I heard from reports was that he died from his gunshot wounds. Yeah. I didn't realize it was also probably the combination of being ran over and the gunshot wounds that also helped um, aid accelerate. I don't yeah. know. Um, his, you know, his death. I, I only heard it was just from fatal wounds or the gunshot. Yeah, I, I, so, I read the same thing. So I, I almost thought that it was like an accident. Um, if I, if I may, I wanted to go back. Uh, want to go back just a little bit because we were talking about the sensitivity of the production, and Peter Berg, um, in doing filming the the Boylston Street uh, scene, you know. He would get on the PA and thank everybody. He goes, he'd say, uh, quote, thank you for coming. You're part of this scene in the film, but it's just a part of the film. It's not what the film is really about. It's about the spirit of Boston. And if anybody's upset, because come see me and or Mark for this. And I thought that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, something to say. I, I, you know, it's it's uh, uh, it's. It's a way that a director can take charge of a situation mm-hmm. and do it in a, you know, how often does a director say to extras, come see me? 
Like, let's, let's, you know, I want to uh, come see me or, or the lead actor, <laughs> you know, if, if you're upset about this or if, if you're having an issue. Uh, I thought that that was, I don't think I can re- ever recall, <laughs> you know, they usually say, yeah. yeah. I think it shows that, like, Talk to the, the self-aware that right. they're covering such a sensitive, a potentially sensitive subject for most people. So, like, I'm glad that they were open mm-hmm. to allow to Same hear here. people's concerns and, uh, like, actually let them speak their mind yeah so that shows that they just generally truly cared at the end absolutely yeah i agree i concur um all right um i think uh unless there's anything else you guys want to talk specifically about peter berg i think we've we've touched on it in doses not necessarily all in one chunk but i think i think we've said enough there about him um let's talk about music um we we sort of talk about music a lot. Um, we love music, and I think it's very interesting how it played in this movie. And in fact, who ended up doing it was uh, Trent Reznor and and, and 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 Atticus Ross, I believe, is yeah. uh, the guy. And they're mostly known for working on David Fincher products, I believe. Social I Network. believe since Social Network. Yeah. So, Social Network. Did, um, um, Girl, Girl with, with the Dragon, dragon Tattoo. Yeah. Um, and, um, various. Others. So they have a good working relationship. Yes. So. And they were asked, like, what's the difference? What's the difference between working with Fincher and Peter Berg? And I thought that that was, I thought their answer was quite interesting because basically what it came down to is like David Fincher. He already has the idea. He's already got his shots. He's a lot more steadfast um, attention to detail. So they pretty much know where they're gonna go. Where they said with Peter Berg, he was they said he was a little more loosey goosey, and like up upon like time of where they needed to have like a first screening, there was <laughs> Peter Berg was adding shots, changing shots, and he said that the music score came in extremely hot, <laughs> um, coming in, uh, which I found to be very uh, you know you know very fascinating. Uh, I've heard on more than one occasion that Peter Berg works even as a director very loosey-goosey doesn't necessarily follow script uh more we know that that fincher is a complete detail hound like he you know that's just the way he shoots so i thought that that was very interesting absolutely well um I, i do think um i mean it's interesting that uh social network which isn't really a boston movie but Boston, Starts there. Harvard. You know, they, they, they did that one. And I think, I mean, it's tough to fully compare this to that just because it's two two different stories. Um, but to me, there's similarity enough, and I, I appreciated what they did with this. And I said, right. I, I think overall in terms of technique, the score was there when it needed to be, and it was not there when it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, when it yeah. just needs to underscore something of, of full importance. Yeah, and um, Ross also said, like, did you know, because it kind of, in some ways, it could have been like a little actiony, a little thriller here and there, but they they realized when to add music tension to those key emotional right. beats. So um, for that, like, they know what and, they're doing. And, and to you know, as I said, probably Peter Berg's most reserved film. You know, he you know, one Reznor had talked said about Pete. He goes, you know, Pete did go on initially. Um, uh, mentioned we don't want to punish people too much 
which to me, those words coming out of his lips sort of kind of, because his movies can be very punishing, just period. But, um, you Lone know, Survivor. <laughs> Lone Survivor. Um, so I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate that. You know, I don't want to punish people too much because music can be punishing. Mm-hmm. You know, when when coupled with a particular scene or something, music could be very impactful or and really punishing. In your face. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Hans Zimmer. And I didn't get the sense here. To me, the the the, the music was a bed. It may have enhanced like the carjacking scene. It may have made that a little more tense. Um, but I didn't. I didn't find that the score was in your face at all. At all. Yeah. Because I can just imagine, even with like the MIT cop shooting, just all of a sudden, as soon as that gunshot goes off, boom, you hit Mm -hmm. like some hardcore or um, whatnot. So I, I I enjoyed it. It was it's a good score. Yeah. Now, have you listened to it off off like you know outside of the movie, like on its own? Uh, Not fully, but because it's interesting. It's it's and I want to I want to bring something up. So. One of the things that they say that they started experimenting with tape loops. Um, and I just want to go back to where we had interviewed uh, John, John Ottman as a, as a composer. And one thing he says that, that, that annoys him, bothers him, is um, a score being wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Meaning it's the same pattern. Same pattern, and it's just wallpaper. So they did something here, and I and I wonder. I, w- I wish we. I wish I could have. Him, I wish I could ask him the question if he's a seen the movie, uh, and he got this because they said they ex- started experimenting with tape loops. He said we create something that had two different cassette decks. It would record something back and forth forever until you stopped it. So you, they would play a piano motif that's maybe eight bars long, and just let it go. Okay, and it starts to feel like a Xerox copy a little bit. This is a quote. If you left it all night and came back the next day, it sounds strangely familiar and warm in a way that computer couldn't have done or a plugging couldn't have done. And he said that it started to invoke this sense of memory or place, and it had a real kind of homey, organic human sound to it. Um, we created probably 30 of those things and would let them go on for various amounts of time. And he said that that provided the foundation for all the heartfelt motifs in the picture. Is that did you did you get that sense that that homey sense of what he was just? I didn't think of it that way. I mean, it's partly I don't know. Maybe it's why I didn't listen to the full score. Right. It's because it what maybe could have been repetitive. Right. Um. But I just, I do remember in that movie, uh, you know, those moments. Were, they were highlighted by the music. Right. Um, and, it, and it felt that, you know, I, I do remember in the movie, it was that strange sense of emotion that, you, you know, whatever, for lack of a ter- better term, love, but at the same time, tragedy. You know, and I think may- maybe it's all those elements working together because, as we talked about, it is that puzzle. And so when you're thinking about it, um, there's that o- always that strange element while you're in the, in the theater of like, okay, when is this piece of the puzzle, when is it going to come in to right. where it needs to be? Um, and I think just by that notion in itself, your mind's kind of racing in a, you know, you could consider it a good way or a bad way. Right. You know, and, and going to the subtlety, too, regarding the bombing scene, you know, it's, it's Ross had said, we knew that there was going to be a bombing. Do we need tension in here? 
And that's one of the places that he said Pete made a really good call. It's Trent and the piano. And it just adds a sense of dread that's building up. But it isn't that yet. And when it gets to the bombing, instead of, like, some composers might have gone boom, 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 like that. Right? But they, they, they went opposite that. And they, you know, they did an abstract lynching kind of thing to sort of kind of bed that. Because the bombing's doing the drumming. The bombing yeah. is the sound that we should be paying attention to, um, which I found to be very interesting. It's an interesting way to approach something because sometimes a composer will just go for the in-your-face. Coming from a Peter Berg, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, again, I, I, it's his most restrained film, you know. And, and I, I like that sense of realism because you could also go the other way where um, yeah, it just... Where it's not like boom, 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 right? But it, it everything slows down. You take away all sound effects, and you just have this slow music score of like, oh, this is basically saying, isn't this tragic? Yeah, right. You know, they and didn't it, have to spoon feed us, you know. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, like perfect. we knew. Yeah. So exactly, and just to give an idea as to how hot they had to work. Um, a lot of moving parts, Ross says. The film premiered closing the AFI Film Festival, which was on a Thursday. On Wednesday night, there were picture changes. On Wednesday night. <laughs> so Reza was like, yeah, it came in a little hot. You know, we're having to dump something in or take something out. So, Well, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a very uh, Peter Jackson type of mentality. He always said, like, hey, listen, of course, I'm, you know, a great filmmaker has to deliver his movie on time. Well, that doesn't mean I have to deliver it before. Right. <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah. You know, as long as you meet your deadline, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, are we going to talk a little bit more about some of the other performances? Um, uh, we, <clears throat> we certainly can. I mean, you know, um, there's so many, but uh, which one's... Well, I guess it, that's you most. brought up J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Okay. He gets built second in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, he played Jeffrey Pugliese. And here's the thing about... It, uh, when I saw the screening, I was at a Q&A, and damn, the Q&A was just too short. Like, they didn't ask of the audience, because there's so much to ask. I think they had too many people at too short a time. Because I think that his character... Again, his character is a linchpin character. You know, he decides to flank the action that's going down in Watertown and come up from behind the scene. And this is when you talk about, like, heroism. He doesn't think about it. He's probably, like, scared to death. Like, gunfire in, in Watertown, Massachusetts, of all places. Um, and, like, his character, the way that it was played, like, I love that scene at the Dunkin' Donuts with, 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 the, with the girl behind the counter. You know, and he left his cigarette outside. I mean, they did these things that said a lot about that character, which made him, I think, very endearing. Like, he was very, like, matter-of-factly. He was a cop, but he cared for his people. He cared for the people in Watertown. He cared for this this woman behind the counter at a Dunkin' Donuts, you know? And uh, he did such a good job, I think. Uh, like, that scene was... The way that it was choreographed, you know, because we have all this action taking place in the street, and the way that J.K. Simmons per- portrayed him, he portrayed him as a really down-to-earth, real-life man, not a larger-than-life hero. Yeah. 
Just a, he was a cop doing his job, trying to figure out what the hell is going on here, and how do I stop this? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. When you were talking about the, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts scene, it, it shows like this is a guy who knows his town. He's very yeah. comfortable with it, and he knows the people. He truly cares about them. And like when something disrupts his town, he's going to take action to do whatever is necessary and like I definitely got that message from him um what I found interesting was that uh J.K. Summers spent a lot of time talking to the real Sergeant Jeffrey Pugliese and uh he said Mm -hmm. no uh yes to the real Sergeant and uh he he even the real Sergeant said "I, I don't consider myself a hero we're just a group of ordinary guys who put in who were put in an extraordinary situation and we just performed extraordinarily so you know they're they're doing their job. They weren't doing it to be heroes of the world, to get recognition and fame. They were doing it because doing they were protecting their, their town. Mm-hmm. And I definitely got that from the character that J.K. portrayed. Absolutely. You know, yeah, and cared about his town. I think it's that, and also, um, again, you can make the argument that they didn't portray this as much, but the fact we got enough of the people of Boston where. You know, they were ready to be extra extraordinary if needed. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not in the right ways of like, here's an axe. Right. <laughs> the, guy, <laughs> the fuck am I gonna do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, but there was that willingness to just participate and right. like whatever it takes. Like we're gonna do this with yep. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought John Goodman. You know, uh, you know, he's worth mentioning. I thought he did a really good job. Um, portraying Ed, uh, Police Commissioner uh, Ed Davis. Uh, he, he, you know, I thought he was really good at what he did. The other thing about this movie, too, that I can say um, is the, you know, the Boston accents didn't annoy the hell out of me uh, in, in this movie. I thought they were done really... Boston accent, I think, is a really tough thing to do. And in some movies, and we've talked about it, The Heart of the Sea is one of them. Nails on a chalkboard sometimes have done... Too not much. good. Yeah. I think between Goodman, J.K. Simmons, all these other people, obviously Mark Wahlberg, but I think they did a, these non-Bostonians that are did a really good job. So much where that didn't take me out of the movie. So I can at least say, well, the accents didn't take me out of the movie. <laughs> so you know, I could I could give them praise for that. We already talked to Kevin Bacon. Yes, who I thought was just so so. I I really thought he was good in this role. Yeah. You know, I really. He's somewhat subdued, but somewhat like that scene where he makes the call. Yeah. Yeah, this is He had a gravitas to Yeah, I thought he was really good. He's also good at playing in these Boston movies. He was in Black Mass. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. And uh, I, I really, um, I, I liked watching him uh, in, the, in, the, in the movie. I thought he did a really good job. We already talked about M- Melissa Benoist. Um we um, oh uh, the kid uh, Jimmy O Yang, you know, as mm-hmm. as playing uh, Danny, you know, man, you know, he did a real yeah. good job. That that entire scene too was was done with a height of, you know, it's very intense. Like even though I knew what the outcome was going to be, you know, the way that Jimmy O played this, I thought it still lent. I was still tense. In the car, even though I knew what was going to happen, let me ask you. That's another thing too that that can be hard. What were your thoughts? Like, you maybe I, I don't know. 
I knew it was going to happen. Did you know it was going to happen in the car scene? And if you did, like, did it? Were you still on the edge of your seat doing it, even though you know that the kid? Like, oh, did yeah. you know that he was going to? Did you know that he survived? Yeah, I I, okay. I knew about the carjacking in, in that sense, <clears throat> but um, watching it as a viewer, you know, sucked into the movie, like. It still built that tension, like, oh, is he going to survive? Are they actually going to kill him, or are they just using him in his car? Uh-huh. And, like, I felt for him, I would not want to have been in that situation. So making that decision to run away with the guy having a gun on him, I was like, that was a very brave choice. And, like, at Absolutely. the end when he did get help, I was like, fist pump. Like, yeah, he got away, he's, go- he's getting them. And when he's getting his statement at the gas station, he's like, you get these motherfuckers. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. get them, because... <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm glad something good came out of this, <coughs> yeah. you know? It was like, yeah, get him. I and get uh, them. I, I, like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, it, it plays out in those intricate moments because you're wondering, you know, you know the outcome, but you're waiting for it, and when it's just not coming, um, it's not that you're questioning what will be the outcome. You're like, well, how, how is this going to happen? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's part of me, because I, I know it didn't happen, but when they're seeing that cop car go by them, and you know, one of them says, oh, "Wrong way, cop." Well, that was wasn't that was Mark a little Wahlberg? too much. <laughs> was it? I forget. I, I forget if it might have been him. It's like, oh. But <laughs> either way, I mean, that was a moment where, like, instinctually, and I hope I would do this in a moment like this, I would have just grabbed that wheel, turned it into the cop, and smashed right into him because, like, what whatever happens, but we're on, right? You know, mm-hmm. at that point, yeah. And yeah, I, so, but you know, and, and I kept having moments more like that of like, do this, do that, you know, even despite the fact that I knew he would do something. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, all right. Yeah. Uh, it was very other... well played out. I felt, um, you know, and I think that okay to me the biggest waste of the film. Uh, we had nothing to do with it, and it's sad to me because I'm so, I, I love her to death. Is Michelle Monaghan, you know? But again, mm-hmm. she's a fictitious character too. But you know, she basically brought a leg brace down, and ah, you know, she could have died. Yeah, yeah. But again, that to me, that would have been. Now you're really disrespecting yeah. victims when you, you know, making a fake death. Um, she's. I can understand the want of being in this movie, but I don't know. I, I just, she to me, I, I, as an actress, I just really, I, I enjoy seeing her on screen. I think she's a good actress. I just, she had nothing. Um, yeah. But, you know. I mean, I kind of agree. Uh, I think the only reason she was in this film was to stand next to Mark Wahlberg, which is kind of <laughs> unfortunate when you just cast people just to have an opposite to do nothing um, and to make you shine even more which is she's the MacGuffin for him she is Um, (laughs) that's it that's that's the only reason you knew her I think the like the one moment I did realize like notice her character the most was like after everything had just happened after the bombing and he finally goes home for like the first time after all this and he has that moment on the couch and he's like just breaking down over the shock of what he just witnessed I think that was good she was there for that emotional support a sure. wife should be giving to right. a man who just went through this. So I think that was the only reason, maybe, like the only good part of her character why she was mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, should we move on to box office and reception and all that? Yeah, because I think that, too, is very interesting. Um, so the movie got released 
in December, very limited, and now we're talking about it because it's finally more accessible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wanted to see it since December, but it was not accessible, to be honest. At least yeah. I couldn't find it. I mean, if it played out here, it was probably like a landmark or such. Now, and that's an interesting it's in move. three places, Boston, New York, and L.A. Yeah, and but I find that an interesting move because... They did it with uh, Lone Survivor uh, as well. And the only reason why you do that is to, is to potentially get some, some semblance of awards recognition. Where it, I don't think it worked. That, well, it didn't work in Lone Survivor. And, and I'm not sure that this movie... like This, this isn't one that lends itself to... It's a good movie, but it doesn't lend itself to Oscars. Oscar. Yeah, or, and or, where the performance is... Are good. I, I can't necessarily single one out to where it's great. Uh, you know, it, it's just a very interesting thing. Like, would they have better? Because yes, as of January eighteenth, it's gross is sixteen million dollars, uh, sixteen plus. So, um, you know, they had a production budget. Uh, they say about forty five. So throw in about thirty plus. So you're looking estimated with advertising, hard drives, and, and, and distributing the movie. So you're talking about $70, $75 million. Um, It's interesting. It's, you know... It, it's, it's low. It, yeah, sort of, kind of. But I'm not surprised, though, because, the again, it is kind of... It <clears throat> is sensitive. It's a sensitive subject, and it is a little too soon that people don't... It's too soon that a lot of people won't go see this. Yeah, and, and, and again, like when we talk about reception, you know, now on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, as of I think it was even this morning, seventy nine percent, which is decent, mm-hmm. decent. Yeah. You know, it's 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 in the fresh category for sure. But the cinema score was sure. an A plus, mm-hmm. and that to me I find very very fascinating. Um, That's high. You know, yeah, it's very well. The last movie we we talked about, Hidden Figures, also was an A plus. And that movie, now again, I'm not sure if me being from Boston taints my my grade, okay? Hidden Figures is an A-plus movie. Patriots Day to, Patriots Day to me is not an A-plus movie. What you would know? you give it? Uh, C-plus, B-minus. Mm-hmm. At best, a B-minus. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe a C-plus. Um, I, you know, it, de- it depends how you're... It depends what you're also scoring for. Are you scoring for it as a movie or the impact that it has? I want to ask Marissa because what was the impact? Like, because yeah. we talked Hidden Figures, and that for me had a had a great positive impact. Okay, we talked; it was great. What was the impact for you not being in Boston? And I know that you did bring up maybe it's too soon, but what, right. what was did it have an impact? Especially his speech about um, Tommy Saunders' speech about love conquering evil and. Like in how it ended, I think the David last yeah. I think the epilogue. last five minutes of the movie is definitely worth the watch of this. I can't keep saying it more, but like it's too soon. Mm-hmm. But while I was watching it, it felt like yes, I know this, I know X, Y, and Z. I know this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Um, it was more so like I went to go see something that I already knew the story and the outcome to, which is fine. Wow. Um, a lot of people go to movies because they don't know what the ending is going to be. Right. And I I feel like Hidden Figures had a more positive impact. It left you in the theaters with a good feeling, that yeah. feel-good um, 
Well, it's also not based around tragedy. Yeah, it's it's, so it's, it's, it's it's hard to like. <laughs> it's a, yeah, exactly. It's a happy, uplifting, positive story that we needed to get out yeah. there, and it, in a way, very American. Yeah. This could have been a little too patriotic, but it wasn't hit over the head. Oh no! Outside of the like, opening scene, he didn't really bust us over the head. And it, I'm glad it didn't because too. it could have been too jingoistic, yeah. and I didn't feel like it was. It was an American story that we already knew. Right. Hidden hidden figures, not to keep comparing it because there are I so many it. others, but right. hidden figures was a story that we didn't know. Right. And this is a story that we already knew. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I therefore, won- I felt that one had hidden figures had more impact than this one did. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know if there's anybody watching us online and whether if maybe they are from Boston, maybe they're not from Boston. Like, I'm very curious between taking taking the audience outside of Boston seeing this movie and how it impacts them. Now, as far as Boston goes, I can tell you, <clears throat> Ty Burr, a movie critic for the Boston Globe, I believe gave this two, two stars. Uh, he went on one of his quotes of saying, movie was unnecessary. Bo- th- this is the Boston Globe. Now, the flip side uh, of the Boston Globe is the Boston Herald. Uh, James Veneer, critic for the Herald forever, he praised the movie, praised it. Um, so I found that to be interesting. There was one other critic from Boston. I don't, I don't quite have his name, but he called the movie shameful. In fact, mm-hmm. he went as far as saying everybody involved with this movie should be ashamed of themselves. One of the reasons being, you know, making up, you know, Tommy okay. Saunders. He found it to be highly disrespectful. Uh, I wasn't on that. I'm not on that end of the spectrum. Like it didn't, it didn't make me angry, but I wasn't necessarily happy mm-hmm. so i didn't like i'm not frustrated yeah i wasn't frustrated but i have my issues as i stated but i'm interested in knowing people outside of boston how they feel about it because this is a very boston story too like i wonder how new york folks See, all right, to answer your question for me never yeah. have been to boston i saw this as a, I said it at the top, I saw this, it showed Boston in a good way because right. it showed how the people came together from Boston. Sure. How they all came together, united, had that Boston strong mentality. And that's what I, that's what I took out of the movie, that yes, a terrible situation happened in Boston, but look at everyone from Boston coming together about it. Mm-hmm. And I saw that was a positive way that yeah. Boston, they showed Boston in a positive way in that way. Yeah. Um but what I'm hearing from other Bostonians that I've talked to that they didn't like this. I'm hearing yeah. very mixed reviews from Bostonians yeah. themselves. Yeah, I think so. it's I think it's more subdued when you leave Boston. I think, um, you know, um, I know a bunch of people from Philadelphia that uh, that didn't mind it. They, they right. enjoyed it. They thought, oh, this this was good. Yeah, that it got made. Um, so yeah, it's got you know it's it's got mixed feelings, and I, I you know, the reason why I think. I, I think it is Tommy Saunders, but I also think of you know. Um, I mean, just imagine, just just imagine going for that. You know, the year after, right? You, you're having the next marathon the year after, and what strength that would take for any runner, whether you've run it in the past or now, you've never done it. You've let's say you've always wanted to do it, and now you're essentially taking a risk, certainly emotionally, to to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think um, it's just, you know, one of the things that I think it taught Boston was that uh, all the all these things, you know, we, we, we looked at 9-11 that hit New York and um, terrorism kind of 
in various places, but this just made it hit home. That yeah. if I mean, this can hit in Watertown. Right, and mm-hmm. it could have, they could have, they could have canceled the Boston Marathon, and people would have gone. I get it. Would have been sad, but they didn't. You know, another thing too that 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 people may not initially like may not recognize is yes, it galvanized, but it galvanized the city. David Ortiz's speech, the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox that year won the World Series. Okay, there was so much going on, and and again, that 2013 winning of the World Series was as equally as important, if even more emotionally impactful, than when they won in 2007 or 2004, like when they hadn't won a World Series in 86 years, and people were like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I saw the, I can't believe I saw the Red Sox win a World Series," but then in 2013, like it was for the city. Like, and if ever there's a sports, like, you know, the Red Sox are, it, they're Boston, okay? The Boston Red Sox have such a loyal following, and when David Ortiz does what he does, I mean, he's a baseball player, and when he came out and he did that, again, I get emotional about it, it just, and it was on live TV, it just, everybody, you just stand up, and you took such great pride, you took pride in your Red Sox you took pride in your city and when they won that when they won that it was for the city and when they did their duck parade and some people sort of criticized them for this but they stopped at the finish line and they took the World Series trophy and put it down on the finish line for me I I, I thought it was I I think that's fine I thought it was respectful I thought it was great because the city needed to get behind something too and the Red Sox organization got they're so entrenched in the city like people forget that they, they won the World Series and it was for the city of Boston for the for the victims for for the first responders even too that's the other thing too like there was such there's such being made about the first responders the people who ran in to a burning building you know and some of them were just people off the streets you know, that to me is what symbolizes Boston strong, uh, you know, the most. And it doesn't necessarily come from sports figures. Like mm-hmm. David Ortiz turned out to be someone that kids actually can admire. They can look up to him and they'll have this part in history, in Boston history. They can go, not only was he he's a great player, but look, look what he does for the city of Boston. Uh, normally we do final thoughts, but today let's do something different. Yeah. yeah. We're going to do a final just moment of silence it's fine. until we wrap out. So we'll do sure. 10 seconds because I know radio silence is a little awkward. So 10 seconds. There you go. Um, we have Dimitri Panos who can be found at D... Movies seventeen oh one. Yep, please support me on Twitter. You know, I, I get followers now. I'm, I'm I'm like up over five. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, but he does love talking with you guys, and I know he always reads the comments and, and whatnot. And I know for for this one, I know he's going to be scouring the comments because of how personal it is. I, I, you know, I have to. I I gotta go. I I think I I gotta say um, thank you for the people who've been commenting lately because. 
your comments have actually been intelligent and insightful. Whether you've agreed with what we've had to say on this show, you've gone in and you've done what exactly this show is all about. You've talked about a movie with us. And even if you disagree, you've said something that has been intelligent and not like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. I've been really appreciating and enjoying going to read the comments, uh, good or bad, because they've been insightful. Like, Fences was one. There were a couple of people gave us some really solid comments, and, and, and I just appreciate I like that. You know. At Serafini TV. That's right. Anything you want to add? Uh, I, you know, I, enjoy, I always enjoy speaking movies with you guys and to all the listeners and the viewers who tune in every week. There you go. And um, check us out at The Popcorn Talk. Check out our other shows. We've done so many of them. Uh, another Peter Berg one, Deepwater Horizon, just recently. Um, in some sense, this movie strangely reminds me of Sully in the sense that it's, I think, you know, that movie was very much for the city of New York. It was telling uh, the, the, the good side of New York, because as they said in the movie, I forget the exact quote, but, you know, New York needed this story. Um, I don't know if Boston needed this story necessarily, but but I think it, it attempts to at least to take back what was tragic and make it positive. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, if you want more of me and Marissa, we're going to be guesting on Guilty <laughs> Movie Pleasures today talking about heavyweights. Go yes. figure. Heavyweights. Uh, so, uh, all right, we'll see you guys next time. What do, uh, we've got? Uh, what do we got in the pipeline? Well, we, uh, um, what, what do we have in the pipeline? Well, we got split. We've we got, got split. Founder. We there have. We go. a, you know, founder. I'm excited uh, for Founder. I really me am. Me too. We Especially might do. since they've just announced the Mega Mac. Oh goodness! We <laughs> I think do. we should have yeah. that while we're doing the Founder. I'm looking forward to the Founder too. Yeah, we might do the Silence Soup. We might do uh, Monster Lions. Calls with you and uh, John Comerford. Yes. He'll make his return. Um, that should be a good one. So lots to look forward to and so much in uh, in 2017. We're just getting started. We're just getting started, people. Um, all right. Until next time. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.